Hey everybody, Joe here from the Lions Led by Donkeys podcast. If you enjoy what we do here on the show and you think it's worth your hard-earned money, you can support the show via Patreon. Just a $1 donation gets you access to bonus episodes, our Discord, and regular episodes before everybody else. If you donate at an elevated level, you get even more bonus content. A digital copy of my book, The Hooligans of Kandahar, and a sticker from our Teespring store. Our show will always be ad-free and is totally supporter-driven. We use that money to pay our bills, buy research materials that make this show possible, and support charities like the Kurdish Red Crescent, the Flint Water Fund, and the Halo Trust. Consider joining the Legion of the Old Crow today. And now back to the show. Hello, and welcome back to the Lines of by Donkeys podcast. I'm Joe, and with me, as always, is Liam. Hello, Liam. Hi, Joe. How you doing today, bud? Uh, dude, I am actually pretty good. Uh, the Phillies are in game three of the World Series, in which they're currently kicking the shit out of the Houston Astros. Obviously, by the time this comes out, we'll know who won the series. Uh, I had some pretty good whiskey earlier. Um, feeling pretty good. Feeling pretty good. That's good. Um, all of my sports teams are still dog shit. Um, yeah, you I, guys traded TJ Hawkinson. <laughs> and the Red Wings the other day. The, the, the Lions are, are, are awful. The Tigers are taking their, their normal winter break. <laughs> 68-year rebuild. Aren't the Pistons good now? Uh, I wouldn't say good. They, they're they exciting, though. They've got, like, a young core. They're they're fun to watch, at least, from, like, what I understand. Yeah, they're better than they have been, but I still wouldn't use the word good. Oh, no, they're 2-6. and six. My bad. Yeah. <laughs> they might be fun to watch, but they're not good. But they're 2-6. and six. Uh, How are the Wings doing? You guys lost us 5-1 the other day. Yeah, and we lost to I forget who by like seven, four, three, and two. That's not very good. Yeah, uh, uh, like the Red Wings are are fun to watch. Uh, they they really are because we have some really really good young talent, like generational talent. Is it, um, is it Tage Thompson? Tag Thompson? I believe it's Tag. Oh, he had three goals and three assists against you. <laughs> Uh, like Morris Seidler is, uh, or Morait Seidler is an amazing person to watch play hockey. Uh, Dylan Larkin's great, but the team as a whole is fucking terrible. <laughs> yeah, uh, I like Lucas Raymond. I, I think Lucas he's Raymond's fun to watch. great. Yeah, um, and you know it's going to be like that, unfortunately, for probably the next couple seasons. Um, Who's you your know, GM you, now? It's Steve Eiserman. Yeah, still Eiserman. Well, I mean, you're in good hands at least. Yeah, that that's why I'm not super worried about it. Um, assuming he doesn't get sick of it and fucking quit or retire or something. I don't know. I don't know, dude. I feel like obviously you'd like to inherit a dynasty, but I feel like it's more interesting when you like ownership is going to give you the green light to get anyone you want, like within reason, like, and you want to be able to, I feel like it's, it's harder, but maybe more fun if you're a GM to like do it this way. Yeah. Honestly, one of the things that pisses me off the most is years ago, uh, Steve Eiserman was, uh, I believe, the VP of hockey operations before he went to Tampa Bay. Yeah. And uh, the owner, who at the time was Mike Illich, was still alive. And he wanted to make Steve Eiserman the general manager then. Uh, but Ken Holland, who was general manager, uh, was, was going to be effectively promoted out uh, of the GM role. He was going to stay in the operation, probably get more money, just not be GM anymore. Uh, and he refused, which led to Steve Eiserman going to Tampa Bay and building what the Tampa Bay Lightning turned into. And the thing is, is like some of the players that they have that they've won multiple Stanley Cups with, including Vasilevsky, like legitimately the best goalie to enter the NHL in uh, 20 fucking years, in my opinion, mm-hmm. uh, would have been uh, a Red Wings draft pick. Um, 
but the Red Wings if did not, not for that, basically. Because we were not looking for a goalie at the time because we were sold on Jimmy Howard, who was oh. not good. Uh, so it's like one of those things in sports history where you're like, it could have been so much different. <laughs> but it wasn't, and that's why I drink. Yeah, yeah, and that's why I'm not, I, I probably will not live to see the Red Wings win another Stanley Cup. Not at this rate. Yeah, yeah not, with the, that, not with how much you drink. Yeah, that's right, baby. Uh, you know who else won't live to see the Red Wings win another Stanley Cup? Otto Skorzeny. Uh, Is that right? Because he's already yeah, dead. Yeah, I'm not good at segues. It's 6 a.m. Leave me alone. I mean, I, I, he wasn't as much as a hockey fan as he was a sword fighting enthusiast. So, what you know, a fucking freak. We all have our, our sports. Uh, but yeah, we're in part two of the Auto Scorzeni series. It'll be three parts. And uh, when we left you last time, Scorzeni, the Stem Lord sword fighting fan turned uh, Nazi commando, uh, managed to politic his way into the command position of the SS commando units, as one does. Now, this collection of spies, rejected soldiers, and concentration camp guards, in case you forgot about that part, yeah, uh, we're finally going to get their big break. They're going to do the big operation that Skorzeny kind of saw them doing when he formed or trained the SS commandos, the rescue of Benito Mussolini. Yeah, how's that turn out? I mean, it works, and then then he gets hanged upside down. That's my point. You know, I don't see that as a problem. I don't see that as a problem. Scoreboard, baby. <laughs> now, this really, uh, this really makes me think of like an Ocean Eleven type heist movie. But in the end, uh, they open up a suitcase and instead of finding, well, I guess, money. I haven't seen any of the Ocean Eleven movies. Uh, or I guess Ocean's movies. They're not all Ocean Eleven. Uh, but instead of opening up the suitcase to find poker chips or whatever, they just find a sweaty Italian fascist. <laughs> Well, I hate. <laughs> yeah, I hate when that happens. However, we do kind of have to explain why Mussolini needed to be rescued in the first place because it is quite funny. If you want a more detailed look at the utter and complete failure of the Italian military, at least during uh, the, their, their Greece campaign, you should go listen to our Greco-Italian War series. We haven't talked about the rest of their misadventures yet in Africa, but we'll get there. <laughs> it, it's hard not to call the Italian military in World War II like, the, misadventure the, central yeah yeah <laughs> having a misadventure because like what are you guys doing here hanging in there way longer than they should have yeah for the purpose of the story we have to jump until 1943 things are going very very badly for the axis as a whole the battle of the atlantic was pretty much over uh german u-boats had been savaged so badly by anti-submarine warfare they had to pull them all back home the british began bombing germany with a saturation campaign over hamburg uh, the German Air Force, the Luftwaffe, had long since lost the ability to really protect their own skies, and the German people are rapidly learning about the finding out phase that comes after fucking around. The Eastern Front was becoming pretty clearly hopeless to everybody not named Adolf Hitler, as a full two-thirds of the entire German military was uh, committed, and they would eventually suffer fully 80% of their entire war losses in that campaign. So it doesn't oh, go no. great, in case this is the first time anybody's hearing of the, East, the Eastern uh, Front. It's bad. And then there are the goddamn Italians. Both the Nazis and the Italians are pushed out of North Africa. The Second Battle of Il Alamein broke the back of the African Front. Then came the Allied landings that made up Operation Torch and the catastrophic loss of Tunis. Uh, With North Africa and Allied hands, Italy was wide open for an invasion. And 
As if that wasn't bad enough, Italy had actually sent soldiers to take part in Operation Barbarossa in the east. Okay, which is a fun fact many people aren't aware of, is if you if you had really bad luck and ended up being drafted into the Italian army during World War II, you could have ended up in Stalingrad. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's where the most of the Italian units went, and virtually none of them returned. Well, sucks to suck. Too bad. Bye, Rocco. Yeah. Imagine, like thinking you're going to uh, maybe you're like a hardcore believer in uh, Mussolini's new Roman Empire thing he wanted to build and you're like wait how the fuck did I end up in Stalingrad I want to go home I want to go home (laughs) say what you will about the stupid uh, second Italian Empire but at least it's warm yeah (laughs) towards the end of the preparation for the eventual invasion of Italy Italian forces were spending more time running than fighting and you know good on them for not wanting to fight Mm-hmm. By May of 1943, the Italian king, who technically was still in charge of the government, like uh, the whoever, yeah, uh, and like he Mussolini was technically a dictator by the king's allowance, right? Yes. So uh, you know, the Italian king at this point was starting to realize, you know, maybe I shouldn't have listened to this guy. Uh, I mean. It's not like he uh, was fooled into it or anything. The Italian king vastly benefited from Mussolini uh, being in charge. Uh, like we talked about during our Greco-Italian uh, uh, War uh, series, a lot of the stuff that uh, Mussolini took over, he personally gave to the king. Uh, so, like, you know, at this point, he's starting to realize that the, the Italy is going, is going to be, like, mud-stomped into the ground. In the shitter, one might say. Yeah, and he wanted to get out of it. Um, and uh, he was still letting Mussolini hang around in office. You, you see what I did there? He's hanging around. Get it? Oh, hey, 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 hey. oh yeah. Hey, he yeah. mentioned his own pun. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. Now, the allure of Mussolini-type fascism was quickly fading within the royal halls and even with his own party as people began to recognize a sinking ship when they saw one. It wasn't exactly helped by the fact that Mussolini himself was falling apart at the seams. Like yeah, most fascists, you know, Hitler, Mussolini, whatever, uh, add whoever to the list you want. Most people uh, think of them as they're at least good public speakers. Like if you look at uh, Mussolini speak, he's, you know, animated. He's, he's pretty much cartoonish. Mussolini goes too far, in my opinion. Um, but oh, yeah. I mean, wow. Yeah. Mussolini, you've stepped over the line, sir. Uh, but like he, that, he, sir, he, it's quite enough fucking Democrats 2018 shit. <laughs> Just like he uh he, he is um he's over the top with his mannerisms he looks quite funny to me but apparently that was worked great for people in the 30s um i don't get it doing pantomime uh in order to execute a whole bunch of people yeah yeah uh and like it, he was a lot like hitler and hitler learned a lot from Mussolini. like they practice in mirrors like their body language before they that went makes on, sense. on stage I mean- like there's actually a photo series uh, that someone took of Adolf Hitler that came that it came out years years like nobody ever knew that it existed, where he had his photographer take pictures of him striking poses that he would later do during speeches. It's very funny, but at this point Mussolini was so stressed he wasn't sleeping he wasn't eating that he couldn't even give a public speech without fucking it up and looking stupid. So oh, like no, the one thing he Mussolini. had going for him. Yeah, a poor, poor baby Mussolini. But the one thing he had going for him, he couldn't even do anymore. Um, his secret police, the OVRA, warned him that there were so many plots against his life that they couldn't keep track of them all. Uh, and he didn't seem to care all that much. He's like, yeah, fine, whatever. <laughs> like, please, please someone kill me. 
I love the sand. Yeah, like uh, maybe he was hoping. Uh, at, at, I think at this point he was a realist enough to know that the war was ending for him badly. And if he got assassinated before that happened, maybe he wouldn't be remembered as the guy that got hung upside down by partisans. It's hanging you know? for people. Whatever. <laughs> by July 10th, 1943, the Allies invaded Sicily, where Italian forces crumbled like so much Parmesan cheese. Now, both the king and Mussolini were completely and totally unprepared for this, which means the military was also unprepared for this. Despite oh, wow. Fact, I can't believe that. I know. I know everybody assumes that the uh, the Italian military would have totally been uh, ready Davis for it. for competence. Yeah. Um, but everybody knew the invasion was coming, uh, but uh, nobody really did anything about it. And when mm-hmm. it started, they both effectively stopped running the day-to-day of the government and the fascist party itself. So at this point, uh, as everybody is aware of all, all these little catty bitches tend to do, they all turned against one another, namely Mussolini. Uh, they started taking powers away from Mussolini and the king didn't stop them. Interesting. They eventually, yeah, yeah, they eventually came to the conclusion they needed to exit the, the fascist party itself. It was like, this war is a bad idea, but we should, uh, we should probably uh, get our own separate piece from the allies and leave Germany to, to go down alone. Now, this led to a, a meeting between Mussolini and Hitler about this issue, and it devolved into Hitler just screaming at Mussolini for being an idiot. Um, which, Not wrong. Not, yeah, which, you know. yeah, the worst guy you know is right. You know, that, that kind of situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mussolini countered this by telling him, like, look, Adolf, things aren't really all that bad as they seem. Uh, and as this apparently calmed down Adolf Hitler for about five seconds, only for an Italian aide who was acting as a messenger to barge into the room and tell Mussolini that the Allies were bombing Rome for the first time. Oh, Jesus wept. <laughs> now, while Mussolini was in this meeting, various party factions, the king and other people were all plotting how to get rid of him. And the, the way to do this was there was something called the, the Grand Council of Fascism. Why is there a council? You're doing it wrong, I feel like. <laughs> this is like the party uh, body that could that voted on things. They could vote to get rid of... They, they could vote uh, suggestions to the king as well. And they voted to recommend the king fire Mussolini. And he did. And then uh, Mussolini was arrested. Um, now, this is almost entirely a show. Uh, this is kind of like... Um, that scene, uh, if you've ever seen Valkyrie, where uh, a guy a guy who fucked up and the guy accidentally gave von Stauffenberg too much power suddenly tries to arrest everybody because he thinks it's going to save him. Um, everybody involved in the situation helped Mussolini come to power and had benefited from it. But they were hoping like, hey, if we show the allies that we're really over this Mussolini shtick uh, by arresting him. Then maybe they will agree to the separate piece. <laughs> maybe we won't be, won't be. Maybe we won't be brutally executed by the Soviets, right? Yeah, yeah. This like arresting of Mussolini wasn't a public thing. Um, he was kind of like, it was kind of like a was gentleman's there a plan arrest to like reveal it to the public, or is it just kind of like a you go into the corner until we work out like what's going on in the war? It really seemed like they planned on handing him over to the Allies. Really? Um, uh, yeah. As I suppose for more favorable terms, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Sure. Of course. And it was more of like a gentleman's arrest, like, hey, you, you're going to be sent to this, like, you're under house arrest, effectively. Yeah, that's uh, what and, I was in this yeah. place, you have guards, we're not going to let you leave. But Hitler didn't know that. And from what Hitler could see, Mussolini simply vanished. And now Pietro Badoglio is in charge of Italy. What a name. Yeah. 
Uh, despite the Italians uh, attempting to keep their war exit plans a secret from the from the Nazis until they could get them, you know, hashed out with the Allies for sure. Oh, sure, right, right, right. The Nazis knew pretty quickly, and that's because the Nazi representative to the Vatican, which is in Rome, heard about them, uh, and uh, he told Hitler the plans that the uh, of the, the the upcoming plans of the Italian government that they're planning on getting out of the losing war. Now, obviously, that meant Italy would suddenly open up as a highway for allies directly into Southern Europe, which is something Hitler realistically could not allow uh, if you were as deluded as him and still believe that the war is winnable. We're going to fuck your butt right in the Gothic line. Yeah. Ugh. It's full of marinara and oil. Um, <laughs> an army of men in overly tight pants and, and like blue sunglasses is going to march up from the boot. <laughs> being defeated by a bunch of euro trash weirdos would be an insulting way to go i will say that their fiats will block out the sun <laughs> oh my god there's so many of them now he all uh, hitler also didn't see a way of controlling italy without mussolini and that's because the italian fascist party was actually quite weak it was mussolini entirely like there's a reason why once mussolini was gone um, now, of course, recent history has shown that my sentence is only uh, 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 makes sense in the 1940s because there's yeah, fascism because the, in Italy again. Uh, there's uh, his what? His granddaughter is an Italian member of parliament, right? Uh, I th- I believe so. Alejandra um, or whatever her name is. But uh, uh, like he was he was not popular. Like the fascist party was not popular when he fell and the fascist party fell like. People were just like, oh, thank God. People like immediately like withdrew over, all the, like, yeah, like the flags that they were forced to hold out. Like it, it, it was like someone flipped a switch and like, oh, cool, we can just sure. be a weird kingdom again. Um, so like Hitler saw that like, oh shit, there's no like supporting party uh, functionaries that can take over from Mussolini. Like arguably, Nazi Germany probably would have been the same way. Maybe not, but probably. Uh, without Hitler, the Nazi party probably would have collapsed into a pile of infighting. Infighting, right? Uh, that would be my thought. Yeah, um, and so Hitler realized, like, well, if I need, if I'm going to keep Italy on my side, I need Mussolini to keep right. Italy on my side, effectively. Um, so they needed to go find him, uh, house arrest him, and put him back in charge. And when Hitler made this decision, Otto Skorzeny was drunk off of his ass in Berlin. Good for uh, him, man. Someone called him, told him he needed to get a plane the next few hours to go meet Hitler personally at the Wolf Slayer, something he had never done before, and he was not told why. Uh, he is not yet Hitler's favorite commando. Now, rather than getting sober, Scorsese simply drank more on the flight over. Yeah, I would too, man. Uh, he was so drunk by the time he got there, one of Hitler's personal aides mispronounced his last name, uh, which I believe I might also be mispronouncing. Fucking uh, because his last name's actually Polish, uh, and he changed the pronunciation to sound more German. Sure. Because he's a Nazi. Right. <laughs> uh, so he uh, he's like, no, that like he's just screaming his fucking head off so loud that Hitler actually overheard it. Um, and like like I said, Hitler had never met Skorzeny before, and Skorzeny was by far the lowest ranking person in that entire meeting, including the aide. Yeah. Embarrassing. Uh, yeah, the, the things that you get when you're drunk. But nobody seemed to care. Uh, like, because, like, you know, your boss is Adolf Hitler and he invited him there personally. What is the aid What are you going to do? Gonna do? Be like, wow, what yeah. an asshole. Right, exactly. Yeah. I assume that happened a lot in situations like this. Sure. 
Now, Hitler laid out his plan for rescuing Mussolini to a room of special forces officers from the army, the air force, and the SS. Um, because remember, uh, we've talked about this before, but uh, German paratroopers, the Fallschirmjäger, were actually in the air force, uh, unlike right. pretty much everybody else. And uh, before asking which of them had fun Italy or knew the country at all, because obviously that kind of knowledge would be usable, none of them had, other than Scorzeni. Oh, they're going to do a reverse uh, Glorious Bastards. Actually, kind of, yeah. Uh, but he had never actually fought in Italy. He told Hitler he knew the country very, very well, which was a total and complete lie. He had been to Italy twice and was on vacation. Outstanding. Like he had rented a motorcycle or something and scooted around. Uh, all, all you need to plot a military uh, operation there. Then, according to Scorzeni, at least, Hiller asked the men which one, uh, like what they thought of Italy as a whole. And the other officers all said something vaguely supportive of them as an Axis ally, et cetera, et cetera, like, you know, the PR stuff. While right. Scorzeni told uh, Hitler that he actually hated Italy and he hated Italians too. <laughs> yeah, okay. Seemingly, that was enough. Uh, and uh, Scorzeni was named the direct operational commander of the mission, uh, answering only to Kurt Student, who was the commander of German airborne forces. Mm-hmm. Now, because this is Nazi Germany, it's actually more complicated than that. Because since Scorzeni was in the SS and Himmler was in charge of the SS, uh, and that meant that Himmler was also weirdly in charge of Scorzeni personally. Uh, despite not having anything to do with the operation. Um, because it, it, Nazi chains of command are more like a spider web of bullshit than an actual functional chain of command. Oh, of course. This led to a moment where Himmler almost fired Otto Skorzeny from being operational commander because he discovered that Skorzeny was a smoker, which Himmler hated. Which is kind of ironic because Hitler hated smokers too, and he hired him. So I think not, the only- Not terrific communication here, boys. I think that's the only thing that saved him from getting fired and therefore like his mythos is that since Hitler picked him personally, even Himmler couldn't fire him. Right. Um, but yeah, uh, then the entire operation moved to Rome where it'd be headquartered uh, while the German intelligence branches tried to figure out where exactly they're keeping Mussolini because nobody had any idea. Um, oh, weirdly enough, I have to mention this. Their mission also had an additional secondary goal if they could pull it off. Which okay. was kidnap the Pope. What? Why? Yeah, kidnap the Pope. I don't. I don't know why. He was a Nazi sympathizer anyway. Go read Hitler's yeah. Pope. Yeah, I know yeah. it's up for debate. Shut up. I mean, the, it's it's kind of inarguable that the Catholic Church was largely at best indifferent towards the Nazis. Uh, there was in, there was individual priests that were very obviously and clearly anti-Nazi and saved Jews and, and, and stuff like that, but. The weight is on the other side of the scale, you know? Um, but I, I think the, the kidnap the Pope thing going off of future Scorzeni operations was more of an uh, extortion idea. Like, we have the Pope. The whole church needs to be on our side. Right. Um, okay. That's, because, that's a weird They one. would roll out that plan an awful lot. Um, so, yeah. Kidnap the kidnapping pope. the Pope. <laughs> Sometimes you got to kidnap the fucking Pope. I, too, have seen um, our church. Um... <laughs> of course, that never actually happened, and they never really planned for it because even a room full of Nazis planning to rescue Benito Mussolini recognized his plan as being very, very stupid. Um, German intelligence had zero idea where the hell the Italian government was keeping Mussolini. That's because the Italian government actually heard of the German plans to rescue him because you know they've been allies for so long. 
there's going to be spies on either side or at least sympathetic people, you know? So the, the Italians said they move him constantly. Uh, they had double agents feed the Germans bad information. And this led the Germans to think he was in about three different places all at once. And all of them were wrong. Though this was all uncovered in the stupidest possible fucking way. Through a police contact and a German intelligence agent, they located Mussolini in a ski resort in the Grand Sasso Mountains. And the, the German agent's tactic to figure this out? Well, he simply pretended to be shit-faced and walked around the town where they thought that Mussolini could be in and was telling people, hey, did you know Mussolini's dead? Only for some local people to be like, no, he's not. He's, he's I saw him over in that the, hotel. Yeah. Yep. And that's all it took. Sometimes, sometimes history is dumb as hell. <laughs> While all of this was going on, the new Italian government signed an armistice with the Allies, and the Germans went from Allies to invaders, disarming much of the Italian army, while some parts of the Italian army did try to fight back, join the Allies, etc., etc. Which I'm honestly not even sure if that made a real difference in their fighting abilities at this point. Most Italian army uh, units surrendered to the Germans without a fight. And the cases where they didn't, uh, or even showed even a little bit of resistance, the Germans were very comfortable just shooting them all. Uh, this happened at, at the massacre of the Aki division where they killed thousands of Italian POWs. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like one hell of a U-turn. Um, the Germans began to get spooked that the Italians would just execute Mussolini rather than allow him to fall in the German hands, which to be fair was a good idea and exactly the order that Pietro Badoglio had given should a rescue operation be attempted on the hotel. And with uh, American invasions streaming up from the south of the boot, it was only on September 11th that the orders were given to actually plan the tactical portion of the Mussolini rescue operation, which meant actually plan to do it. You want to guess mm-hmm. how long he had to do this? I don't know, about six weeks. Oh, wow. You're charitable. Try again. Six days? One day. One whole day. Oh, that's some Liam Anderson shit, baby. <laughs> now, here were Scorzeni's options. None of them were good. All of them were crazy. A ground assault. This would have been a problem as they would be charging <laughs> up a mountain. <laughs> they would have been charging up a mountain where there was no roads going to a ski resort. Instead, they would have to, and I swear to fucking God, this is true, assault and take over a ski lift and then ride it up to the hotel. That's just kind of embarrassing, right? Like, show <laughs> Imagine you're like a fucking SEAL team and you're like slowly cranking up a 1940s (laughs) Italian (laughs) ski lift. (laughs) Then there was an airborne landing because everybody likes throwing paratroopers at problems because the problem's solved or at least you have fewer paratroopers. Um, Now, (laughs) (laughs) hey, I was in the 82nd airborne. I can say that. Also, so can everybody else because we're terrible. Now, uh, We've already talked about how terrible the Germans were at airborne warfare. Again, go listen to the Greco-Italian series. It underlines it greatly. Um, but there was an added wrinkle. The, it's a ski resort in the mountains. Nobody had jumped into fucking mountains before. And they weren't entirely Swat. sure how that... Yeah, that would almost certainly be how that ended. Uh, but they had no idea how it worked. Like, how would the parachutes work at this altitude? How would the planes get up high enough to make it safe? The answer is, it wouldn't have worked. Uh, and they did not have time to test it because, again, they had one day. <laughs> now, to Scorzeni's credit, which is something I will not be saying very often, even he was like, that's very stupid. We should not do that. And it was the only option he turned down without any debate, and nobody really argued with him. Then there were gliders, also known as evidence that God hates paratroopers. It was, on paper, the best option somehow, but also by far 
the most dangerous. And everybody knew how much Hitler hated them after the fa- the, the failed landings on Crete. Well, right. they eventually succeeded again, throw enough paratroopers at a problem and it'll be solved or we'll have less paratroopers. Now, colliders had also never been thrown at mountains before either. So nobody was sure what exactly would happen, what to expect, how the gliders would react in that kind of altitude with mountains and the, the weather around them, etc. Right, right, right. Also, there's only one available landing zone, and it was smaller than any glider pilots had ever tried to land on before. And again, they would not have time to train for this because they have one day. Deciding that any one of these ideas was kind of bad, he decided on two of them. A ground assault to seize the ski lift in order to cut off the hotel so the Italians can set off, uh, set off reinforcements. Mm-hmm. At the same time, gliders rained down uh, on the hotel and maybe landed enough men alive to complete the mission. Oh, boy. Okay. It's often said that Scorzeni planned all of this himself, with Kirch like students simply signing off on it. However, Scorzeni is the only person who tells the story that way, and that's largely how it's been spread through his own writing and storytelling. Sure. When you think about it, it makes sense. This guy, realistically, only ever operationally a very low-ranking officer. And remember, before this, he was a transport guy. Right. Um, and, and had been riding a desk or teaching basic training. He didn't have, from what I can tell, any real operational experience, education, or ability to plan a large-scale operation that involved land and ground forces like this. But current students sure did, even if he wasn't good at it. <laughs> uh, he did technically take over Crete eventually. Um, and for Kurt Stuhn's part, he survived the war and wrote about it. He said Scorzeni had little to do with actual planning, but rather it was a guy named Hallard Morris that, uh, that did most of the legwork. Scorzeni wasn't even originally supposed to take part in the mission itself, but rather a side quest about fetching Mussolini's family. This pissed where, him where, off. Where are we on kidnapping the Pope, though? That's, that's, the, that's the B plot I'm here for. Unfortunately, that plot has no legs. It's a ah, come yeah. on. you gotta yeah. try to kidnap the Pope. You gotta, ch- yeah, paratrooper landing into the Vatican. Um, the Swiss guards, they're just gonna throw their halberds up at you as you're coming down. They have MP5s now. Have you not seen that episode of Archer? Oh, yeah, I know they do. And I know they have actual guns too, but I'd like to believe that if the Nazis invaded, they'd just be chopping them up with halberds because it's funnier. I, I do like the idea of like elite or whatever. I'm not even going to bother to say the German it, uh, paratroopers landing with like uh, MG 42s and shit and just getting absolutely wrecked by a bunch of guys who are kind of half hung over carrying halberds dressed as like fucking uh, clowns Poor gestures. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, now uh, he wasn't actually supposed to take part in the assault. So, he bitched and moaned to Kurt Stuhn until he got put in one of the gliders going towards Mussolini's oh, hotel. Baby. Stuhn's like, fine, I'll put you in there. Just leave me the fuck like, lose Stop my number. Stop fucking talking to me. Lose my number. Yeah. He, he and his SS commandos were still only to play second fiddle to Stuhn's paratroopers, which is more evidence that Stuhn planned this and not Scorzeni. Scorzeni was not a guy to try to not be involved in things. He wanted his SS commandos and himself to be involved in everything because he wanted the glory. Uh, so like the fact that the main force this would be paratroopers is evidence enough that Scorzeni was not the, the main brain behind this kind of thing. Right. Um, but the paratroopers were supposed to rescue Mussolini and then Scorzeni and his men were really only supposed to act as his like, personal guard after that. Get him mm-hmm. to a waiting plane and uh, then you know, wave goodbye as he goes to Berlin. Like that was sure. they were they were supposed to just stand outside the hotel. They were not even supposed to go in. Now, what Scorzeni absolutely did do 
almost undoubtedly was get the mission approved by Adolf Hitler. Right. As we've talked about before, after Crete, Hitler hated airborne operations, which is why he never approved another large-scale one ever again. Sure. But in this situation where Skorzeny was absolutely telling the truth, Hitler did like Skorzeny mostly because of his attitude. Student had happened to be really bad at public speaking. So when presenting the mission to Hitler, he simply had Skorzeny do it. Mm-hmm. leading to the plan to be approved and Hitler who uh, uh, who approved it eventually gave Skorzeny all of the credit for it, which I'm sure, sure made Stuhn very happy. Um, now, another somewhat important thing that Skorzeny did was kind of just be an optimist. He never saw a mission that he was involved in as failing or as stupid. Right. Uh, so when Kurt and Stuhn was kind of like on the fence with this plan to work, uh, Skorzeny was always there like, nah, bro, this is totally going to work. We're let's totally go. totally got this, bro. It's in the bag, yeah. bro. Let's go. He was a hype man. Yeah. He was uh, the, the, the guy named, I believe, Alligator, uh, who stood out in the crowd for Mike Tyson and just yelled, guerrilla warfare for like a million dollars a day. I love that fucking Outstanding. guy. I love that fucking guy. Yeah. I think his name was Alligator. Um, not his birth name, of course, but yeah. Is uh, Nam de Guerre. <laughs> uh, uh, but yeah, he was a hype man. And like, if there's one thing that Hitler liked, it's fucking hype men. Like, that was Joseph Goebbels' entire job was to be right. a hype man. <laughs> he loved that guy. Uh, Yo, Big but, A, you're doing great right before I take a 45 to the dome. But it's fine. Yeah. I'll be right back and we're going to poison my entire family because we failed. Bye. Oh, uh, bye. Oh, uh, scoreboard, you dumb Nazi bitches. <laughs> yeah. So, like, without Skorzeny, most of this probably wouldn't happen, but it was not a product of his, like, tactical genius. It was a, it was a product of, I don't know, probably being hit in the head with a sword too many times and he couldn't see a dumb plan when one was in front of his face. Oh, what are you going to do, you know? Of course, when Skorzeny eventually wrote about all of this, he became the central figure in the whole thing, leading to what is effectively the beginning of his own myth building. Because this is where he, like, the, the result of this is him becoming, quote, Hitler's favorite commando. Anyway, right from the beginning, the operation went to shit. For starters, the plan called for 12 gliders, and for some reason, they could only get 10. Um, then because like of weird, it feels like a weird place to cheap out on, right? Like, you've already got 10 of 12. I think it's because they had a day. Like, you know, like yeah, we oh, can get fair. two more gliders. Can we get yeah, another fucking yeah, 10 hours? Yeah, no. yeah, all right. Then because of intense secrecy and one whole day of planning, virtually nobody knew about any of the plan other than the top commanders themselves. Not the paratroopers, not the commandos, nothing. Only about five people were completely aware of what was happening. That's counting people like Adolf Hitler and Himmler and shit. This is like frat, this is like frat e-board fucking party planning shit. Yeah. Uh, the glider pilots, who remember, we're going to have to dangerously land in a very, very small chunk of rock, had no idea what their mission was, where they were supposed to fly, but more importantly, where they were going to be landing. So they were informed right before they took off, which I'm sure they're very happy about. The entire briefing of the operation took so long, again, because they told them right before it was starting, that they ended up taking off late. Part of the uh, part of that brief was Kurt Stuhn, who, uh, who was telling his pilots that they expected eighty percent of the people on the gliders to die. We love a good motivational speech. Just fucking terrific, bud. That's amazing. <laughs> like, imagine getting hyped up for like your super secret Nazi mission. They're like, oh, you'll like twenty y'all are gonna make it back, so don't be too happy. Like, oh, cool. Oh, and then right before they actually took off, the Allies bombed the airfield that the gliders were gonna be taking off from, which made the whole thing even later. As they were flying towards the target, they got hammered by heavy winds, which rocked the gliders so badly, according to the book Devil's Deceitful, 
all the SS commandos vomited everywhere. And since the collider oh, was so it. small, it probably looked like that scene from Team America. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, for, for some reason, uh, can, can we splice in the sound of that guy vomiting from Team America right here? Please. Thanks, Dave. <laughs> Uh, for some reason, the planes towing the gliders had no radio communication with one another either, or also the gliders. Nobody could talk to anybody. What? what? I, like, I get it's done in a day, but like even so. Yeah. You, I mean, you know, you know what existed before this mission was planned? Radios. Radio, right. Now, uh, so that meant the, the towing planes got too far apart. And then the uh, the pilots and the crews are surprised by another thing. There really was no landing zone as originally planned. It was uh, it, it was seen on a map and by aerial uh, reconnaissance, which was much much higher, so they couldn't see detail all that well. That the area was supposed to be mostly flat, if I mean, unfortunately, small but flat, right? Um, however, when they got closer, they realized that it wasn't. One glider pilot called it a quote ski jump that dropped off into an abyss. Good job. Good job. So it, was a, it was a ramp that ramped them directly oh, off Jesus the mountain. Fucking Christ. <laughs> then the element of surprise was ruined. As the gliders were fighting against the wind to aim towards the death trap of the landing zone, there happened to be the same time as the changing of the guard in the hotel that was stationed there. So all of these Italian guys streamed out of the nearby building to go home or come into work. And they mm-hmm. saw there was 10 goddamn gliders hanging in the air above them. Now this would normally be where they all get shot to hell, right? right. However, the only thing that probably stopped the gliders from being riddled full of holes uh, was the Italians just thought that they were Americans who are no longer their enemies. Remember? Right. So like okay. nobody bothered to shoot at them. I don't know why they th- like why. I mean, why you would think that, right? Yeah, maybe they're just hanging out up there. Maybe they want to see the Grand Sasso Mountains. They're so right until they eat shit into a snowbank. Sure. Yeah. Then the gliders crash down into the landing zone. Uh, paratroopers and SS men stumbled out profusely, vomiting from air sickness. Scorzetti had a concussion and was rocked so hard by the landing and and vomit that he like stumbled over his own feet getting on the glider. Didn't even bring a gun. Another guy crash landed a a glider so hard a man broke both of his ankles. And then we were treated to a scene of a man army crawling arm over arm out of the glider screaming while still while still trying to go to his assigned place. Christ on sale. In the middle of all of this confusion, the Nazis released what is honestly my favorite secret weapon. Uh, they didn't want to fight anybody. Like they, they were hoping that the Italian guards In would not out, fight. Right. So they brought a secret weapon to make that more possible. A high-ranking Italian military policeman and dedicated fascist who's wearing his uniform was thrown out of a glider and sent running towards the Italian screaming in Italian, don't shoot, don't shoot. Just imagine what the scene looks like. You're you're an Italian guard getting off of work, and then just want to go home, dude. You know? Yeah. Then suddenly, a dozen fucking gliders slam into a mountainside. There's vomiting and broken Nazis everywhere. Right. And suddenly, your boss comes running out. No, dude. I want to go home. (laughs) Like you, you freaks can do whatever weird shit this is in the morning. Yeah, I already put in my eight hours. I'm going home. I don't give a fuck about any of this. You guys can shoot at them if you want. (laughs) Goodbye. All plans are thrown out of the window as gliders haphazardly slammed into earth, into the earth, and everybody shit and puked everywhere. 
The Italians just put up their hands and surrendered as the paratroopers formed random groups and started running into the hotel where Mussolini was. Like the guards is like, I don't know what's happening here, but I don't want to. I don't want anything Mama to do with mia. this. <laughs> Mamma mia, that's a lot of broken Nazis. <laughs> there were still guards in the inside of the hotel, but they failed to respond, which was uh, an- another bit of uh, of fun Italian fuck uppery because one of their commanders was taking a nap. Um, yeah. Now, yeah, Who amongst um, us, you know. <laughs> If I, I don't want, I wouldn't want to wake my commander up either. Now, but Badaglia had split the command of the guard force into three: one for police, one for the carbonieri or military police, and the other for the army. This is really, really dumb. But he did it uh, like as a political check because there were still, you know, the quite a po- quite possibly a few loyal fascists within the ranks. Oh, sure, he, sure, sure. And he wanted one to kind of act as a check and balance against the other to make sure nobody was going to help right. break it, Mussolini out. However, that also meant no one commander could command the guard force. All three right. of them would have to do it together. But one guy got sleepy. Um, by the time they could wake the first guy up, the Nazis were already in the hotel. And for some reason, the guards had no established protocol in place for the event of, you know, having to do the one job that they had, which You're is to stop the rescue. Okay. All right. There was Why one not, guy. There was one guy who did have a job that he almost did. Uh, it was a military policeman ordered to kill Mussolini should the Germans show up. And he's right. seeing his Italian comrades surrender and nobody fire a single goddamn shot in anger. He's well like, done, you know assholes. what? I'm not doing this. He saw because he figured probably rightly if he shot Mussolini, the Germans would get pissed off and execute all of them. Right. Which probably true. 12 minutes after landing without a single shot being fired, Scorzeni burst into Mussolini's room and he was free. Which, remember, that was not Scorzeni's job. Right. Well, okay, one shot was fired. A German paratrooper fell out of a glider then blew a hole in the roof of, uh, of, of the glider as he fell out. Well done, fuck uh, ass. Yeah. The only deaths were at the ski lift when uh, the paratroopers who were sent to secure that ran out and stabbed two Italians to death for reasons nobody's entirely sure of. Dicks. Yeah, I think it was for fun because they didn't need to stab anybody to death. Oh, Nazis. Yeah, they, they do that. All of the 10 German wounded came from a glider that crashed into the ground and fell halfway down a cliff. <laughs> Should have finished the job, Earth. After that, Mussolini was packed into a plane and flown off with Scorzeni by his side, which again was not part of the plan. Scorzeni, without any orders, simply refused to leave his side until Mussolini was personally standing in front of Hitler. Right just to make sure he got all the credit that he could. Oh, of course, right. Now, Scorzeni doesn't read it that way. He says that his his orders were to keep Mussolini safe, and he couldn't be sure Mussolini was safe if he wasn't at his side. Um, now, this is... I will give him that. If you don't know what happens next, that makes sense. However, they were using a very, very small plane. It had just enough fuel and lift capacity for right. pilot, co-pilot Mussolini. And remember, Scorzeni is fucking huge. He's a right. big ass guy. He's probably bi- he's bigger than both of us, and we're big dudes. We are. Big um, dudes. He, he's he's almost actually. yeah. He's almost seven feet tall. I think he actually he is seven feet tall, Holy which shit, meant dude. he he probably weighs close to three hundred pounds because it's hard to be seven feet tall and not weigh at least three hundred pounds. Right, of course. Especially a guy who's as physically active as him, um, and drinks as much as he does. So like he packs himself into this tiny plane. 
that absolutely cannot carry him. So the whole flight back, the pilot is literally <laughs> fighting to keep the goddamn thing in the air. So he almost killed it. I've also seen that um, episode of Archer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And to be fair, Scorzani nailed this to a T. He knew he knew how to play Nazis. He knew what Hitler wanted. Right. After Mussolini was delivered, he was called on the phone personally by Adolf Hitler and promoted SF Sturbannführer, which is roughly a major. Right. Uh, he he was also awarded the Knight's Cross of the Iron Cross because the Germans like very stupid names for things, and it was one of the highest awards the Nazis gave out. And as you can tell, now Skorzeny was a made man in the Nazi world. He knew exactly what they wanted. None of this was like he he did not need to be involved in any of this, and the mission would have gone just as good. But he knew how to further his own goals, right? And that is on track with him going all the way back to when he was a lowly SS office worker in Austria and didn't have a job when he married some construction uh, manager right, right. millionaire's daughter Took for a job. Money, yes. Yeah. Scorzetti wasn't the only person at something to gain by pumping up his mythos. And it's something we're still kind of dealing with today. Like we talked about the Nazi government was a plate of spaghetti stuck to a wall of different political groups, all of which hated one another. This included the intelligence uh, of which there's all the branches of the military had their own intelligence, including the SS, all of the branches of the military and the SS, which remember was both military and political. The SS was an entire shadow government and military rolled into one. And like it was personally created by Himmler and Reinhard Heydrich to effectively become that. Is like remember right. we talked about during so that our wasn't an accident, right? No, of course not. They were in charge of the police. They're in charge of intelligence. They're in charge of their own military branches. They had the, the like. Remember how we talked about in our Kursk series how Hitler wanted everything to be the SS because yes, they yes, they were the good ones and they were loyal and they to were him. the ones loyal to him specifically right yeah although i also remember fire mine so yeah let's just say it didn't work out to the ss's uh benefit bitches now hoping to score one for the ss joseph goebbels made to make sure uh to start telling everyone that scores any an ss man had personally planned commanded and completed the entire mission with his commandos he didn't even talk about the paratroopers uh, and and therefore the entire air force because he was only wanted everything to be SS. Like at one point, Goebbels wanted uh, like the SS to have its own air force, which they kind of did. Why? Because he wanted everything oh, to be the right, SS. Because, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. That just that just doesn't. I mean, I know Nazis, so I'm not exactly in making sense here territory. But I mean, I guess the Navy basically has its own air force, but this the the Marines and yeah. Um. Now, it certainly didn't hurt that Skorzeny looked the part. If you look up at a, if you find a picture of him, um, he looks like a piece of Nazi propaganda cartwheeled off of a page at you. Like, right. He's, a, he's the perfect propaganda guy. Because remember, that big gnarly scar across his face is absolutely something that Nazis liked. Right. Um, Skorzeny's SS commando's next mission would look a lot like his last, targeting one of Germany's allies, this time Vichy France, specifically Philippe Pétain. The figurehead ruler. Like yes. in Italy, rumors started to go around that Patan was going to surrender to the Allies in the Uno reverse card situation. The US, the UK, and free French forces were going to come in and free him and then take him back to be like, you know, the the figurehead now they're in control right. of. He was uh, Patan at this point is effectively under house arrest by the Germans. He had no power. Scorzeni and his team would be the shitty Frenchman's personal bodyguards to make sure this did not happen. Though right. nothing happened because there was no allied operation to free Patan. Why the fuck would they do that? 
they already had de gaulle they didn't need another right. french guy <laughs> right <laughs> like de gaulle was the unassailable leader of the allied free french they did not need philippe Patton, who was a brain dead fascist not to mention very old at this point if i remember correctly yes yes, yes he was that's why he wasn't executed yeah. One of the reasons he wasn't executed, although he should have been. And he was a, a national hero from World War One. Yeah, well, yeah, I ain't never done. I fucking know. Yeah. Which is what he's like a, a, a painful character to read about because you, you can't read about Patan in World War One and be like, not come away. Like, well, you know, after a long series of bad French leaders, and not saying Patan was great, but, you know, there was no really great leaders in World War One because they all were just smashing conscripts against the wall. But, you know, he was the hero that they needed when they needed him. He's better than Joseph Joffre. But, like, then fast forward a couple of years <laughs> and he's a fascist uh, political puppet. Great stuff. Um, now, the best anybody can think of is the entire plan to free Patan was little more than a paranoid heroin delusion that only existed in Hitler's brain. Um, so fun stuff. Uh, but there's Fascinating. there's also a mission that is well known, but probably never happened. And we've talked about it before on a different episode. We can assume this because the only records uh, of this operation were uh, Soviet press releases, and not even Skorzeny himself says it happened. And when you th- when you hear about how big this plan could have been, Skorzeny would absolutely admit if it if it was real. Uh, when this man won't lie about an accomplishment in order to make himself look better, you can probably be sure it didn't happen. This is, of course, Operation Long Jump or the Nazi plan to assassinate FDR, Stalin, and Churchill all at once while they're all meeting in, in Iran. Right. Uh, we talked about it briefly before, and I still stand by my opinion that despite the fact this never happened, it was almost certainly like an NKVD propaganda thing to make, like, the, to, to, to show allies how good of an ally the 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 ussr is because like we saved everybody's lives um and i also stand by my opinion that even though it would have been the nazis doing it if this mission was true and what and was carried out and successful it would have been a net positive for humanity Uh, (laughs) now hear me out on this churchill and stalin are obvious ones but fdr was about to die anyway and his uh, vice president at this time was not harry truman but rather a different guy who was much better than truman uh like he wanted uh he like he was fully on board like after the war ended to continue being allies with the ussr the cold war probably wouldn't have happened uh he was he was openly against the use of nuclear weapons uh he was a labor guy like he would have been much better than truman um, and he was also one of the reasons why in the next election, election FDR dumped him and picked Truman is because he was vehemently anti-segregation. Like he would, it would have been so much better. So yeah, if Operation Long Jump would have succeeded, because it's not like the Nazis were going to win at this point, they were going to lose. It didn't matter who was in charge of any of these countries. Uh, so if Operation Long Jump would have succeeded, the post-war uh global landscape would have been so much better <laughs> like yeah. uh anyway it probably didn't happen now according to the nkvd the entire operation came to a screeching halt because they stopped the ss commandos via high-speed camel chase led by an armenian nkvd agent <laughs> Which, Outstanding. cool dudes rule dudes rock but in reality, again, it probably not got it never got past the planning stage because even Scorzetti himself thought it was so over the top he would never be able to pull it off. So it, in reality, it was probably more of a suggestion that someone had one time. 
Um, because I mean, that's going to happen. Like kidnapping the Pope. Like Hitler's going to come up with something stupid or Himmler's going to come up with something stupid. And everybody's like, you want to do fucking what? You know, it's, it's not like they had right. a democratic process for these things. Um, however, there is one operation that did happen that we know uh, without a shadow of a doubt that that did happen, that Skorzeny helped plan and run, that even he does not like to talk about, though he does admit that he did take part in it. And that's called <laughs> the ominously named Operation Peter. Oh, I don't know if I like that. Yeah, it's it's eh, it could be bad for a lot of reasons. Now, this took place in Denmark, and Denmark fell to the Nazis in 1940, and the Nazis, believing the Danes to be good old Aryans themselves, attempted to turn them something of a model German colony. Um, and the Danes, you know, went along with it because that's the easiest way to survive a situation like that. However, within three years of Nazi mismanagement, general occupation-related bullshit, and an increasing amount of rationing, the Danes were pretty over it, and the resistance movement began to spread pretty far and wide across the country. And to be completely clear, there is resistance movements from day one. It's not, it's not like every Dane was like, nah, this is fine. You know, like there, right. there was resistance from day one. Uh, and in, in all occupied countries, that is generally the case. Like most people in occupational settings, you don't want to be the nail that sticks out and gets hammered. Everybody just kind of kept their head down because they're fucking Nazis. So like, uh, we don't really want to find out what they'll do to us if we uh, tell them to fuck off, you know? Uh, right, of course. The Nazis responded by flooding the country of 50,000 soldiers who are all pr- probably really, really happy that they were sent to Denmark rather than the Eastern Front. <laughs> As you can imagine, this did not dampen Danish uh, resistance efforts. In fact, it only inflamed them because now there were soldiers everywhere. Uh, right, of course. So Hitler decided he would f- do the only thing he knew how to do to stamp out dissent, a reign of terror. Um, and the man to commit that reign of terror was Otto Skorzeny. Oh, no. oh, boy. They would not be doing it in uniform. They were to secretly terrorize the resistance uh, while undercover. And uh, they snuck into Denmark on false passports as... Austrian tourists, you know that that tourism season of 1943 Europe. <laughs> yeah, of course. Some of that border patrol probably should. Like, I'm not a big believer in borders or nation states. But, like, at some point, yeah, I'm checking that. And when I say terrorism, I mean terrorism. They were ordered to set off car bombs at cultural institutions, businesses, and landmarks. They also carried a string of assassinations against anyone they thought even slightly connected to any kind of German uh, or anti-German activity. Um, this included priests, journalists, and other people. Um, and to be clear, like this would be shocking for Denmark because their resistance wasn't like that. Um, they did acts of sabotage and stuff like that, but leaving dead bodies in the street was kind of not their thing. Um, but then Scorzeni's boys would leave the bodies somewhere uh, that they would be found, like some republic, leave a note in Danish claiming that they were the resistance uh, and, and doing all these things, hoping to turn the people against the resistance themselves. Um, now, this mission failed entirely, and Scorzeni seemingly lost control of his men. Uh, because Skorzeny himself was not in Denmark. Uh, he was the in the planning stages and stuff like that. And the men that he deployed seemingly turned into a roving serial killer gang stalking the Denmark, uh, the, like the, the Danish fuck? countryside. Yeah. They, virtually everyone went rogue. Uh, and while I say that this happened while Skorzeny was not there, to be clear, I think if he was and in direct command, it probably would still look the same. 
Because remember mm-hmm. what their their goal here was is to be violent psychopaths and get people to Ter- believe terrorists. that it's, yeah. yeah to right. believe that the the Danish resistance was doing these things. This lasted for a year. Nobody's entirely sure of how many people they killed. It's thought to be several dozen, um, many of whom were only tangentially connected to any kind of resistance activity or anything. It really did seem like they turned into a random death squad. Um, yeah, Terrific. yeah. Uh, but it lasted a year, and uh, Scorzini pulled them out. Uh, now, jumping forward to 1943, or, sorry, 1944, things you would have guessed got even worse for the Nazis. Yeah. <laughs> as they tend to do, specifically in Yugoslavia. Evading Yugoslavia was a terrible idea that collapsed the country as it imploded in a guerrilla warfare led by multiple partisan uh, leaders, but mostly partisan superhero, Tito. Generally, the Nazis left their bottom-tier soldiers from, say, Romania and Italy and whoever else they thought uh, couldn't fight very well on garrison duty in, a- in areas they took over. Uh, however, this, uh, that also meant that Tito and his boys tore those dudes apart meaning Germany had to eventually dump what they believed to be real soldiers into the country to try to control things and anti-partisan warfare uh, when they really did not have soldiers to spare anywhere. So Skorzeny and his boys were dispatched to find and assassinate Tito. In order to do that, they had to try to find somewhere where his headquarters was and uh, where Tito had been hiding and popping out of the forest to ambush Germans this whole time. Of course, they did this in the most German way possible. They dispatched three different branches of the intelligence. Uh, all of oh, remember, fuck's sake, man. <laughs> yeah, remember they all hate each other, uh, and they were not working together uh, trying to find Tito. They all had their own mission, effectively. Nazi looming tower. <laughs> Each of them insisted they had found where Tito was in three different places, all of them simultaneously. Go well, of course. Great. The local army commander, a guy named Lothar Rendelik, hated the SS, but not for the reasons the rest of us do. He just hated them for political reasons, not because they were the SS. Uh, he was, so he was actively trying to sabotage Skorzeny and anyone who wasn't directly connected to him because, of course, he wanted the glory of killing Tito. He had been put in charge of killing Tito and beating the resistance and didn't want anybody else to steal that from him, also because it would probably make him look bad. So while Skorzeny and the SS planned to send in their commandos to capture or kill Tito, Rendelik was doing the same thing with his own detachments from the army. So of course, none of these fucking idiots found Tito. They probably never would have if it wasn't for some snitch from Tito's forces. As the Germans routinely offered huge amounts of money to people to try to get them to turn on, uh, on whatever resistance or partisan group they were a member of, this guy took a bag of, ta- a bag of cash, told the Nazis that Tito and around 6,000 of his men were camped out around the town of Dravar, and uh, fucked off with his money and probably got executed shortly thereafter. Of course, Skorzeny went uh, on the one plan that he always had, throw paratroopers at the problem via regular drops and some gliders. Small problem, though. Tito's intelligence network was actually much better than the German military's. He had known about the plan, including exactly what unit the the Nazis intended on using, because, of course, he knew who Skorzeny was, for at least six months. Skorzeny's own scouting methods also tipped them off because uh, Skorzeny liked to go on these scouting missions himself and he would get in slow, low-flying scout planes and just circle over areas. Uh, and he did this for weeks. So everybody's like, oh, the scout plane's back. They must be coming here. You know? Small problem, though. Tito wasn't even in that town. His headquarters was in a cave near the town. Work, yeah. Now, Skorzeny actually did know this uh, through an informant, but he didn't tell Rendelik because he didn't want to share the glory with him either. 
This led Rendelik to make the wrong location the target of the entire mission. Outstanding work. Love it. So, on May 25th, 1944, when the mission was launched, the commandos wandered into the town facing very little resistance, only to find that, yep, there is no Tito here. Then, while already on the ground, they heard about the cave uh, and had to turn around and start running through the woods to try to locate it. And of course, this area is fortified because there's 6,000 partisans there. They never did find the cave, but what they did find was a bunch of pissed off Yugoslav partisans who shot them to pieces. Skorzeny was so sure of his plan, like all plans that he has anything to do with, would go off without a hitch, that the paratroopers also had no kind of support, air support, artillery, nothing. So... They just kind of got in a, in, in a fight in the middle of the forest with some partisans for two days. The, after two days, they did finally call the mission off with the Nazis pulling back, having captured nothing other than Tito's military dress uniform, which they stole from the dry cleaners in town. <laughs> that's just that's absolutely fucking terrific, bud. Jesus wept. Now. Skorzeny was not an overall command. Rendelik was. So that meant Skorzeny escaped any blame for the fuck up because Hitler still loved him. So he gets all the credit when things go right when he's not in command and none of the blame when things go wrong when he's not in command. In fact, his special forces detachments were even expanded after this fuck up because Hitler's rationale is if we had more SS commandos, we could have pulled this off instead of using the army. After this, there was a small but successful kidnapping mission in Hungary when the, when, uh, the Skorzeny boys kidnapped the regent's son after hearing that uh, the Hungarian government was in negotiations with the Soviets for a way out of the war. After that, they blackmailed him into resignation to make way for the neo-Nazi Aero Cross Party movement. Um, now, the only real notable part of this operation, which is why I'm skimming right over it, is that the commandos rolled the child up into a carpet like a cartoon in order to secure him, which is kind oh, of fun. Wow. Yeah, that's fun. Now... This leads us to the last part of today's episode and probably the second most well-known or maybe most well-known thing anybody knows about Skorzeny in any operation he had a hand in. Operation Grief during the Battle of the Bulge. Mm -hmm. You might know this as the time Germany deployed commandos dressed as Americans uh, who spoke English into American lines in order to sow chaos and confusion in the Allied rear areas. Right, right, right. I won't be going into the details of the Battle of the Bulge. That'll obviously be like a multi-parter at some point. Instead, we'll be just talking about Skorzeny's part in it. Now, from the details I've said, well-trained commandos in stolen uniforms who spoke English with near uh, flawless fluency and American accent would take a ton of time and effort to put together. And you would expect that kind of thing to be given uh, that kind of time uh, since Hitler himself said Operation Grief was one of the most important parts of the entire battle plan of the Battle of the Bulge. Oh, (laughs) boy. Instead, Scor- All right, that's got a lot of writing on this one, huh, guys? Instead, Skorzeny was given seven weeks to plan everything. Um, oh, that's better than a day. That is better, yeah. Uh, now, everybody really didn't like him that wasn't in the SS at this point. Uh, the military gave him virtually no help. Volunteers didn't exactly rush forward to take part. This is because everybody knew, uh, well, a, a, a huge part of it was lack of English language skills, but also because everyone knew that if they were captured wearing an American uniform, Per the law of land warfare, they could just be executed on the executed, spot. Executed, yeah. Yeah. And Hitler was worried about that little detail, too, because he forbade Skorzeny from personally taking part in the operation. Skorzeny did speak English. Right. Was this like, a, I can't afford to lose you? Or yes. Like a, I don't, okay. Yeah. And okay. because, like, being a POW was not an option, you would just be shot. Right, you would just be executed, right. 
And like all good top secret missions, they were simply told they the Nazis told everybody about this plan. Siegfried Westfall, an army general, simply passed around a pamphlet to all of his soldiers asking anybody who was in good shape and spoke American accent and English to volunteer for a special mission. The fucking thing even names Skorzeny, meaning that anybody who who got their hands on it, like, say, allied intelligence, would know immediately that there's some kind of raid being planned against Americans with people dressed as Americans. Great operational security, guys. And, of course, allied intelligence did find out about this. Skorzeny got furious and tried to cancel the entire mission, but nobody wanted to be the guy to tell Hitler that his idea was stupid and impossible now, so the mission went ahead. Um, the plan went ahead despite everybody knowing that allied intelligence was pretty largely in on the plan. They didn't know exactly what they were going to do, but they knew something like it was coming. I think the, the quote that best uh, sums up how things worked in the Nazi government at the time was said by Himmler, who said after being told about canceling the mission because the allied intelligence, uh, leak said, quote, it's idiotic, but it must be done. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah, that, fair enough. That's the Jack government has. in a nutshell right there. Now, this plan called for 3,000 English-speaking Nazi commandos. You want to guess how many they got? 35. Give me 35. 10. Oh. Like, 10 people. <laughs> uh, in the end, uh, they end up scraping together a few hundred more people who knew a few words of English in a situation I assume looked a lot like that scene from Inglorious Bastards when they decide who speaks the best Italian. <laughs> right. Then realizing the plan wasn't going to work at all unless they ditched the idea of needing to know any English. So then they changed it just being German guys and capturing American gear who would sneak behind enemy lines while saying totally That's silent. Sloppy. Then the, if, the, if, if the plan was going bad enough and falling apart, the Germans didn't actually have enough American, captured American gear to make it possible. Like, oh, and just, just one guy with a Colt. <laughs> one guy in a Colt in, in a Jeep with three tires. Yeah right. Oh, by the way, the Phillies won seven nothing. That's good. Uh, I hope by the by the end of this series, uh, people don't watch your uh, your your descent into madness if they lose the series as a whole. Also, the Bruins came back from three five in the from five three down in the third period to win it six five in overtime. Who are they playing? Stanley Cup, baby. The fucking Pens. The Pens. The Pens fucking suck now. They're four four and one. You suck. Yeah, the, they suck. Four, four, and one is not a good record. It's five hundred. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, another problem with this operation, of course, is you, you giving people American guns. You need American ammo, so you know they can use them. Their entire stockpile of American ammunition for the operation blew up randomly because they were storing it wrong. Good job. Outstanding work, you fucking moron. Finally, after countless delays, the operation began to, uh, on December sixteenth, nineteen forty-four. And it was a huge failure. Um, it, it seems to actually live on in American memory more than um, than it was successful. Uh, for starters, the U.S. knew about the operation because of Westfall's stupid ass. So soldiers on the front line had been warned about Germans dressed up like Americans. Because when you know it, it's really hard to break through defensive line by just walking up to him and be like, hello, my fellow Americans, may I come in? <laughs> Uh, uh. <laughs> the ones that did get close to the line uh, ran to a secret weapon the Americans had to deploy to stave off the uh, infiltrators. You want to guess what it was? Fire mines? Fire mines. Uh, that would be cooler. Uh, it's actually dumber and cheaper than that. Soldiers had that? actually just been giving simple orders, then set up checkpoints and ask anybody who came through random questions about American culture, like sports yes. teams, geography, and stuff like that. This was foolproof. It caught every team that tried to come through. It also caught Americans who didn't know about sports. 
Um, <laughs> for example, General Br- uh, Bruce Clark was nearly shot after answering a question about baseball wrong. Um, I love that. I love the stupid country. I think he was asked, uh, and remember, this is the 40s where baseball truly was the American pastime. So, like, everyone would have known about baseball. But I think his question was, like, who, uh, like, what city is this team from? And he's like, fuck, I don't know, Boston or something. Right. (laughs) And they almost fucking dropped him for it, (laughs) which does sound like a Boston sports fan thing to do. I. Because we love America. <laughs> One of the commando teams of actual English speakers got burned because according to one of the, so- the soldiers that caught them, they were too nice to be American. <laughs> <laughs> like, I guess because they didn't walk up to the, the checkpoint like, how's it going, you fucking cunt? They're like, oh, these guys, oh. <laughs> these guys are Nazis. Uh, the team of four men were all arrested, taken out back and shot. Now, there is part of the operation that did succeed. It did cause chaos at Allied Command, mostly for um, preventative measures. For instance, they gave Eisenhower a body double to just drive around in circles all day uh, okay. in case Scorzeni was trying to assassinate him, which he, he wasn't. Um, most of the effects are psychological, uh, which was part of the goal. Um, but the plan still required the commandos to actually do damage to the American line to make a breakthrough easier. And they right. never even came close to pulling that off. Some small victories like English speaking commandos managed to cause a traffic jam, uh, which is kind of funny. Oh, well, congratulations. Um, it paralyzed the road so that the route can be used to respond to the German attack. And there was another case where an English speaking commando managed to talk a unit commander uh, into going the wrong way when responding uh, to the German breakthrough with like really small things like that. A lot of the commandos simply got caught uh, because they weren't convincing enough or they because, again, they didn't speak English. At least 15 commandos were executed. Um, The most accurate estimate is about maybe eight men were able to infiltrate in some capacity or another. But the vast majority were killed before they even got close. Other teams like saw that they were fucked when they got close to the American line, just turned around and went back. Uh, After the failure of the Battle of the Ball, Scorzeni took part in a few more operations, all of which also ended in failure. These are mostly just normal military operations that blow up bridges to slow down the American advance in the West mm-hmm. uh, because uh, he was going to do everything in his power, never to deal with Soviets ever again, if you remember from part one. Um, now, the war is finally coming to an end, and Skorzeny finally decided that, you know what? This Nazi shit is not worth dying for. As American forces rolled into Western Germany in May of 1945, he sent a letter under a white flag to the to an advancing unit telling them that he and his commandos would be willing to surrender them the next day. And he did. And that is where we'll pick up next time. Oh, fun stuff. Yeah, next time is where we get into some very, very strange nion conspiracy type shit. Um, oh, it's going to be fun. Uh, but that is Otto Skrzeny Part 2. Liam... Plug your shows. Uh, 10,000 losses. Well, there's your problem. And uh, Cedar, screw it. Outstanding. Uh, everybody, thank you for listening. You make uh, you make you know everything we do possible. If you like what we do here on the show, uh, consider supporting us on Patreon. You get episodes like this one earlier than everybody else. You get bonus episodes. You get books. You get discounts on stickers. You get access to our Discord for a dollar. Um, oh, yeah. Or don't. It's your money. I'm not going to tell you well, what to do. do give with us it. a review then. Yeah. I am. Give us well, money. Please leave us a review on whatever platform you listen to podcasts on. It's the only way we know that 
you like what we're doing. Uh, and also, it's nice seeing positive uh, support yeah. for then things you can that unleash we, me when, when we don't get positive. Yeah, it's nice seeing positive support for stuff that we spend hours um, doing um, for you, know, you guys. Um, and until next time, uh, I don't have a, a fun quip for this one. Don't lose an eye in a sword don't be fight. A Nazi. Don't be a Nazi, man. <laughs>